Thursday, May 24th. I'm Laura Lee. This is our 20th episode. Can you believe it? I cannot. This is amazing. But before we jump into this week's Canadian history, I thought I would update you on something I kind of find interesting happening in the States. So with all the constant hate on Trump, it seems to have gone unnoticed that Americans now have women heading up the CIA, departments of education, transportation, homeland security, small business, the U.S. delegation for the U.N., the White House press office, and the White House communication office. Pretty interesting, especially since each of these women are really highly qualified. I don't know. I actually find that just pretty cool. So I just thought I'd share that. But anyway, not even talking about that at all this week. I just thought I'd share it because I thought it was cool. But we're here in Canada, and we're going to do a Canadian history moment all the way until Canada Day. So here we're going to start us off today with our Canadian history. So Thomas Tilly and Susan Peters were married. They were both from loyalist families that settled in New Brunswick after the American Revolution. Little did they know this loyalist family would soon be part of Canada becoming a nation. May 8, 1818, Thomas and Susan had a little boy and they named him Samuel. Samuel Tilly. Samuel was so smart. By the age of 13, he was working with his cousin at the local pharmacy. But by 23, Samuel had taken over the pharmacy and renamed it the Tilly Drugstore. It would stay open until 1860 when Samuel would become a full-time politician. So Samuel married this girl named Julia Ann Hanford. They were really happy and they had these eight beautiful children. And Samuel became really involved in politics in New Brunswick and he became the premier in 1861. He was very passionate about the temperance movement. So Samuel believed drinking had become a problem in New Brunswick and he thought the best thing they could do is just get rid of all the alcohol and have no alcohol anywhere in the province. Sadly, Julia died in 1863, leaving Samuel a widower. He continued his work in the temperance movement and he met a woman named Alice Chipman. And she was a woman who was really, really active in the same movement. So the two were married and they had two sons, which means Samuel had 10 children. The idea of forming a country and separating from England was growing and Samuel joined the Confederate movement. As it became clear that a new country was forming, the name Kingdom of Canada was becoming popular, but Samuel didn't like it. The name Kingdom of Canada just didn't sound right to him. Samuel was reading the Bible and one day he was reading Psalms chapter 72. The eighth verse just leaped off the page. He shall have dominion from sea to sea and from river until the ends of the earth. Dominion. The dominion of Canada. That's what this new country should be. With an ever-present reminder that God would always have the absolute authority and leadership. Interesting enough, Canada at the time did not go from sea to sea or from the ends of the earth to the rivers. Quebec, Ontario, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, that was the entire dominion of Canada. So at the same time this was happening, there was this man named George Grant, and he was traveling across the country preaching and raising funds for a college he had inherited, a Christian college that was in a huge financial needs, Queen's College. Grant and his friend John Watts, and they were these huge believers that knowledge and ideas learned in school should be used to make the world a better place. And they wanted Queen's University to equip Christians to go out into the world and serve. George Grant preached as he traveled, and his favorite passage was Psalms chapter 72, verse 8, 
the same verse that gave Samuel the idea of using the word dominion. His speaking was very popular and this verse became a kind of a popular verse. Grant published a book called From Ocean to Ocean. At Confederation, the Dominion of Canada was picked as the name, but a motto was still needed. From this same verse came our motto, from sea to sea. The motto showed that God would have Dominion of Canada, but also the dream that Canada would one day be from sea to sea. Today, we have that reality. So the reason I want to talk about Canadian history is because I feel like we don't know where we came from. How can we know where we're going if we don't know how we got here in the first place? This last week, I was pretty disappointed in our Ontario Conservative Party. As you should know, we are soon going to be electing a new Premier for Ontario. It's pretty obvious that Kathleen Wynne is out. No one wants her here. She's a disaster. So the race is really between the Conservatives and the NDP. If you're listening from the States, because I know some of you are from the States, the NDP is just a straight-up socialist party. They're pretty terrible. They're running on the promise of making our entire province a sanctuary city, and they want to make our health care available to anyone who needs it, regardless if they're here legally or not. Basically, if someone from the States breaks their arm, they don't want to pay for it. the States, they could just come here to Canada and get it for free. Hey, maybe even come here to have your babies. Whatever. It would all be free, except for us taxpayers who have to pay for it. The debt would also go way up under the NDP, and we're already worse than California. California has a debt of $144.8 billion, and Ontario has a debt of $265.5 billion. California's debt is 7.6% of their GOP, but Ontario is 40.9% of our GOP. Okay, if you're like me and you're like, okay, that was a bunch of numbers and I got nothing. Let's lay it out this way. If every single person in California paid $3,844, they could get rid of their debt. But in Ontario, each person would have to pay $20,166 to get rid of our debt. So our family of six would owe $120,996, and the NDP wants to make that more. We just can't have that. But I'm also not very happy with the Conservative Party right now. I'm not really pleased with what Doug Ford is doing. I was really pleased when Doug Ford got the nomination for the head of the party. I thought he was going to be tough enough to stand up to the liberal media that's pushing for the NDP to win. But Ford seems to cower whenever the media tries to paint a member of the Conservative Party with a negative brush. He keeps getting rid of anyone who the media points to. Let me tell you Anne's story. I write, wrote about this on my blog, and you can check it out at lauraleesiemens.com. And I was able to message Anne back and forth as this was unraveling and get her side of the story. So I'm going to share that with you today. Anne had really never thought about Islamism before that day, but that day changed things. That day was October 22nd, 2014. Anne found herself locked in a room with a shooter outside the doors. She was in Ottawa and in the middle of a terrorist attack. Corporal Nathan had just been shot outside while performing a ceremonial guard. The terrorist had then entered the parliament buildings. Anne spends a terrifying day not knowing if she would be the next victim of terror. The day ends with a dead terrorist and with Anne wanting to know more about what happened. Look, this wasn't a racist fear. This terrorist was white. What could have caused this and how could the government make sure this would not happen again? Most of us remember that day. I was in my living room watching the attacks unfold on my TV. Most of us know where we were. 
The shooter was very close to our Prime Minister and it could have been a much worse outcome. When it became clear the terrorist was acting in the name of Islam, everyone was quick to point out that it was not true Islam. It was Islamism and that there's a difference and that's not the same as a religion. Islam is a religion characterized by the acceptance and doctrine of submission to God and to Muhammad as the chief and last prophet of God. Islamism is often characterized by moral conservatism, uh, literalism, and the attempt to implement Islamic values in the spheres of life. Islamism has a hatred of anyone who does not follow Islam. And it's also a hatred of Muslims they don't believe are following Islam correctly. Isla Islamism is a political theory. Okay, think about it this way. Here's some other political theories. There's fascism, nationalism, socialism, communism, Marxism, capitalism, and Islamism. A politician has to be allowed to talk about any of those isms. We have to have the right to talk openly and discuss each of these isms. As a voter, I really need to know where my politicians stand on every single one of those isms. So Anne left that day and decided she would learn as much as she could about Islamism. Was it the same thing as Islam? Anne actually went right to the source. She found Muslims and studied their teachings. Two Muslims in particular were Tariq and Raz. And these are two practicing Muslims that speak out against Islamism. They are very clear that this does not represent the religion of Islam. Anne continued with her other passions. She was continued to serve the people of Sioux Lookout and Anne was very involved with many First Nations groups and worked hard to be a voice for them. Ontario elections are just around the corner and the Liberal media is out on the hunt to find anyone to tear down the Conservative Party and they're rehashing the same old boring lie. Conservatives are racist. This time the lie was directed at Anne. On May 16th the floor was ripped out from under Anne. An old tweet thread between Anne and Tariq was the Muslim man that we talked about earlier. This old tweet was found and published. Not the whole thread but just one line. Anne said that Islamism is not a real religion and is a threat to the world if not stopped. She was labeled racist. The scarlet R was painted on her. The Conservative Party gave her no time to explain herself. She was not allowed to share the context of the thread. She was told to pack her things. She lost her job. It didn't matter when Tariq published the whole thread on Twitter and defended Anne. The scarlet R was there. As a member of the Conservative Party, I find this terrifying. Muslims have come to the defense of Anne and said she is right. Islamism is not a religion. It's a political theory. In fact, many Muslims live in Canada because they moved here to escape Islamism. But once a racist label has been attached to Anne, she was done. The native communities that she's worked with before now don't want to work with her. Even her grown children have been targeted and refused work from native communities. Trips to the local grocery store met with strangers calling her a racist. No one wants to be near someone with the racist label because in today's world, anyone standing near someone with the label gets the label themselves. Look, I'm a Christian blogger and I do a Christian podcast and I look at things from a Christian worldview. I look at politics from a Christian worldview and I wouldn't be okay with a group that said they wanted to kill anyone who's not Christian and they wanted to force everyone in Canada to follow biblical principles. I would say a group like that was dangerous and I would also say that a group like that didn't understand Christianity because Christianity is only truly followed out of a free will. 
and anyone with an ideology that wanted to force anyone in Canada to follow Christianity would not be a true believer. As a believer in freedom, I believe everyone should be able to choose and practice whatever religion they choose to practice. And I would expect a person to view the world through their lens of their faith. This is freedom. Any ideology that takes that freedom away is an ideology that is dangerous. Look, Anne said nothing wrong, and Anne said nothing that was racist. Every political party should be clear on where they stand. If the conservative party is suddenly becoming pro-Islamism party, then I don't want to be part of that party. I can't be part of a party that follows that platform. I was so excited about this race. I was planning on volunteering, giving money, being active, but I haven't. I've just ignored the phone calls that keep coming in. Because since hearing what Anne, I've kind of lost faith in the party. The idea of bowing down to anything that is Islam is dangerous. Just look at the Gaza-Israel border. Our Prime Minister is actually upset with Israel for defending its borders. Because you can't do anything against anything that is in any way associated with Islamism. So Hamas has been building tunnels to get terrorists into the country to kill. They've been shooting rockets into Israel. Now they're on the border in this raging riots of hundreds of thousands of people trying to get through the border with maps to the quickest routes to homes so they can enter those homes and kill them. They're flying kites with firebombs attached and lighting fields and farms on fire. These kites have Nazi symbols on them just to make sure we all know they want the Jews to burn. I've written about this a lot on my blogs and you can check it out. I have a blog called Israel's History and also why Israel has a right to defend itself. So Israel's defending its borders and it shoots the ones they're trying to get over there. And here in Canada, we mourn the lives of the terrorists who were killed. Just this week, a Hamas captain has been pictured wearing a medic vest as he riots. He's not a medic. He's the captain in the Hamas army. That's actually a war crime. This is how doctors and medics will end up being killed. But this is no different than all the times Hamas has shot rockets against Israel from hospitals, making it impossible for Israel to fight back without hitting a hospital. This week we had the news that a Canadian doctor had been shot by the Israel army. Of course the outcry, how could those Israelites shoot a doctor? Let's look at that doctor. His name is Dr. Turek. Probably not saying that right. But he's an emergency doctor in Ontario, and he comes from a line of doctors. His dad is a doctor also. So Dr. Trek has worked in war zones before. He's worked in Iraq and southern Lebanon. He was born in Kuwait, but he moved to Canada. So he's now a doctor in London, Ontario. But this doctor doesn't just do work in London, Ontario in war zones. He's also a professor at Western University. It sounds like he should have the knowledge of how to stay out of the area that the snipers were targeting. Here's some other kind of interesting information. This doctor's also worked at a hospital in Gaza called Al-Shifa. Now, there are 10 hospitals in Gaza. This doctor works at the one hospital that has a serious connection to Hamas. In 2014, Hamas actually put its headquarters in this hospital. So why would they do that? Well, that way if the Israel army attacks their headquarters, they could say, hey, look at those Jews targeting hospitals. But not only does this doctor have connections to this hospital, he's also a voting member of this group. It's the IRFAN, and that stands for the International Relief Fund for the Afflicted and Needy. And that sounds awesome, right? Like who wouldn't want to belong to the International Relief Fund for the Afflicted and Needy? However, 
2014, the RCMP actually raided their offices, and their offices are in uh, Mississauga and Montreal. And what they found was documentations showing that it was actually a terrorist organization. So they were not only were they funding um, terrorist activities, but they were actually a terrorist organization themselves. So this doctor is actually a voting member in this organization. So he's a member of this terrorist organization. He served at a hospital that was also the headquarters for a terrorist organization. And he happened to be in a violent riot at the Israel border when he was shot by Israel snipers protecting their border. But the media and our government tell the story this way. A doctor from London, Ontario, who works in the ER and is also a professor, was shot for no reason at all by the Israel army. Look, only one of those two stories can be true. But the Gaza border isn't the only time we're bowing down to Islamism and it's proving dangerous. In Finland, a 23-year-old had sex with a 10-year-old. He was convicted of aggravated sexual abuse, but the rape charge was just thrown out because he was an asylum seeker. And in his culture, it's totally fine to have sex with 10-year-olds. So how is he supposed to know it wasn't okay? Okay, this ended up going all the way to the Supreme Court, and even the Supreme Court agreed with this. There would be no rape charge. If this man had been any other religious background, it would have been rape. But out of a fear of looking racist, the Finland courts bowed down to Islamism. The same thing happened in England. Massive sex slaves of young girls, ages 11, were ignored by social services and the police because the men running the sex ring were Islamists and the social services and the police didn't want to look racist, so they let it go for years and years and years. So we have to be brave enough and free enough to be allowed to ask questions, even the hard ones. We need to be prepared for answers that are not comfortable. We need to take a look at Islamism and why so many who follow the teachings of Islam are fleeing the countries that are run by Islamism. Maybe it's not the same thing. All right, the next few stories are actually not for younger ears. So if you're listening now with your child, this is the time to stop and listen later when they're not around. But I will say this next part I think might be the most important part of this week's podcast. The stories out of Finland and England makes us angry. I hope it makes you angry. But before you throw Finland and England under the bus with the grossness of these stories, let's look at our country. Let's look at our neighborhood. Let's look at our schoolyard. Let's look at your home. Let's look at your phone. Because victimizing of young children has exploded and is now mainstream in our culture. What if I told you the name of a person who was showing pornography to your child? What would you do? Would you invite that person into your home? Let them hang out with your child in their bedroom? What if this person was with your child all the time and you knew that piles of pornography was in their pocket at all times? Would you let your child continue to be with this person? Does anyone in your phone, in your home, have the app Snapchat? Well, Snapchat now has a new feature called Cosmo After Dark. You can find this in the discovery section of your Snapchat account. Every Friday, 6 p.m., Snapchat will go live with porn. According to Snapchat, Cosmo After Dark is, and I'm quoting here, X-rated weekly edition that goes online every Friday at 6 p.m. and is exclusively dedicated to all things hot and horny. Just a reminder who their audience is. More than 80% of 12-year-olds have Snapchat accounts. This is an app used by children. 
But, you know, it's a way for our kids to see pictures of their friends and communicate with them. I can't take that away. Okay, imagine you found out your school's yearbook was being sponsored by Pornhub, the main porn site. The back pages of the yearbook would have porn and links to porn. Would you be okay with that? Would you buy it since it's mostly pictures of your kids' friends? Look, we have to stand up to these app designers. If every parent was, out, was as outraged at these app designers as they would be if our local school did the same thing with their yearbooks or newsletters, then we would change something. We have to start by being outraged. Every parent needs to delete Snapchat from their kids' phones. They will also need to send a message to Instagram that if they keep moving in the same direction, they're going to be gone as well. It's not going to be easy. Your kid is going to freak out. You just took crack away from a crack addict. It's going to take a while for your child to detox. But once they do, they might even look up once in a while and have a conversation with you. You also would have protected them from a very dangerous thing. When you take away the Snapchat account, sit down with your child and have a frank conversation about pornography. It isn't easy, but it's an ongoing conversation we have to have all the time because it's destroying our children. Did you know that in 2016, in the U.S., people watched 4.6 billion hours of porn? That's 524,000 years of pornography in one year. And when I say porn, it's important to, under -explain, to explain what I mean. 88% of porn is rape, torture, and, humili and humiliation. The producers of porn, they like to have new actors and new actresses because the pain and the fear is very real for them and it makes the movies and the pictures more realistic. If this is freaking you out right now, I recommend a book called Sex and the Conversation the Church Forgot to Have. I wrote a book review about that and it's on my blog as well. If you have a problem with sex rings and sex slaves, then you should be fighting every app that is streaming this because this is where it's coming from. It's time for our church to stand up and say enough. That is it. We're waging a war on the porn industry. It won't be on our phones. It won't be in our homes. It ends now. So who's with me? Who's going to take a stand with their family? Who's going to take a stand for their family? It won't be easy. And I'm going to tell you now, your kids will hate you. You'll have to have some uncomfortable conversations with friends. And you might find out things you didn't want to know. But once that happens, then healing can start. And God will heal when we come to him with a broken and contrite heart. So this episode had a lot of different topics. We started, though, talking with Canada deciding that God would have dominion in our country. And that's not true today. But we can let God have dominion in our homes. But we have to start with letting God have dominion in our hearts. And how do we do that? By turning back to God. That's what our whole country needs to do. That's what our church needs to do. That's what our families need to do. We need to turn back to God. We need to do things God's way. We need to start by confessing our sins and asking him for forgiveness. Start by looking at yourself and admitting you actually need Jesus. Then tell Jesus you believe he is who he says he is, that he is God. And you believe he says he can do what he can do that he can rescue you from your sin and ask him to forgive you because he will. He always, always will. That's it for episode 20. 
Listen to my weekly videos on the abortion debate every Monday and my somewhat daily blog posts. I'll be here again next week for episode 21. In the meantime, for everything else, check out lauraleesiemens.com. That is L-O-R-E-L-E-E-S-I-E-M-E-N-S, lauraleesiemens.com. See you next week.